The Easter story is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, but I think John is my favorite version. Uh, John starts out and it's, it's early in the morning, he tells us, that while it's still dark, Mary comes to the tomb to care for Jesus's body. Uh, Jesus died and then was buried. And then the day after the burial is the Sabbath. And so uh, it's the day of rest for Jewish people where they would have grieved and mourned, but they wouldn't have left their homes most likely. They wouldn't have come to visit or take care of his body uh, for a full day. And so we have Mary with spices waiting for the dawn of a new day uh, to do the work of caring for the body of the man that she cannot believe is dead. Uh, And when she gets to the tomb, she's met with a surprise. She came to rub spices on a body, but instead she finds the stone rolled away and the body is missing. And so she just starts running. There's a lot of running in this story. She runs and she runs into Peter and John. Uh, John refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Uh, It's it's how he refers to himself often throughout his book, um, which is amazing and a whole other sermon for a whole other day. So uh, Mary, she goes to tell the disciples the terrible news about the grave robbery and Peter and John, they hear it and they take off running to see what's going on, to see uh, what has happened. Uh, One of the reasons that I love, or I I love the Bible, but I believe that the Bible is true is because of things uh, like verse three and four that Chad just read from John chapter nine. Verse three says, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that. John is writing a story that all of Christianity hinges on. It is the most important story in the entire Bible uh, for all of time. And he makes sure to add that he beat Peter in a foot race to the tomb. And I get it. I would add it too. Uh, It feels so human to me. If I were to beat Chad Stewart, correction, when I beat Chad Stewart in a foot race, I promise you that I will include it in every sermon for like a year. It's an important detail. I like that John includes the details for the people, like who got to the tomb first. Uh, So Peter and John, they run to the tomb and Peter, he does what he always does. And he acts before he thinks and he looks in. And he sees burial clothes that wrap Jesus' body. He sees that the clothes are there, but there's no body to be found. And for the first time since Jesus died, something starts to make a little bit of sense in the mind of Peter. We see it in verse 8. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, he does it a second time. It's not just enough to one time say that he beat Peter in a race. John does it a second time. Anyway, uh, verse eight, then the disciple who had reached the tomb also went in and he saw and believed for until then they hadn't understood. Peter and John, they peer into an empty tomb and everything that Jesus has been telling them about his death and his resurrection, it, it comes into focus for the first time. After days of confusion, uh, clarity, it breaks through. And so they go home to tell the others. Uh, But Mary stays. That's what John tells us. He says that Mary stays. Mary, who had followed Jesus for years, who was known and loved by him. Mary, who many scholars believe had just days before washed Jesus's feet with her hair. Mary, who had stood at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus take his final breaths. Mary, she stays at the tomb and she weeps. And it's interesting to me uh, how Mary processes the information. I'm so thankful that John gives us a glimpse into this process. She stays and she weeps. 
for Mary, the death and resurrection of Jesus, they weren't good news yet. In my mind, she's sitting at the opening of a confusingly empty tomb, overwhelmed with grief and overwhelmed with the silence. Jesus may have been raised from the dead, but he wasn't there and she didn't know where he was. And so she weeps because she's confused and overwhelmed and because this was not the way she imagined that things would go. So she stays and she weeps. And I kind of get it. This week has been sad. I've been grieving the fact that we don't all get to be together today. Uh, I, I, I love Easter and I love Easter at Springbrook. We're Easter people. It's what we do as followers of Jesus. Easter is our great festival and I love celebrating it together. I love the greetings when, when people say he is risen and, and someone else says he's risen indeed. And, and I love uh, the fancy clothes and I love that not everybody wears fancy clothes. And I, uh, I love the hugs and I love the champagne at the early service. And, and I, I love being together for Easter. Uh, there's a lot to be sad about in our world right now. And so I feel kind of guilty. I have felt guilty and privileged that this is what I'm grieving in this minute. Uh, but the truth is I'm sad about it. And in a really small way, I relate right now to Mary sitting on the edge of the tomb, weeping. I'm lonely and I'm grieving and confused and disappointed. I'm overwhelmed and I'm in a place that isn't what I imagined it would be. The resurrection of Jesus, it has so much to say to us in moments like this, moments that don't look anything like we imagine them to be. The resurrection of Jesus, uh, the, the glory and the beauty of it, the glory and the beauty of the resurrection is, is that it is a promise and it's a declaration and a never ending announcement of hope. Hope of a new day, hope of a fresh start, hope of a new life made out of wreckage. Hope that Jesus will always come back for us and hope that the rescue is always just within our grasp, no matter what our life looks like. The story of the gospel is that the great rescue of God doesn't come to us in our best moments when we're winning a foot race. Uh, the, the, the gospel uh, tells us that the great rescue of God comes in the shipwrecks of our lives. It is life from death after all. The story and the beauty of the gospel is that we can blow it in every single way, spiritually, morally, intellectually, physically. And the resurrection says that there is still hope for us. Uh, one of my favorite writers that I quote all the time is Robert Capon. He's an Episcopal priest um, and a chef, which I think is a really great combo. But uh, one of my favorite things that he says, he says that, um, that the worst thing we can be in our darkness, so the worst thing that we can be in our darkness or our sin or struggle or destruction, uh, the worst thing that we can be in our darkness is dead. And being dead before Jesus doesn't disqualify us. Being dead before Jesus makes us his cup of tea. We can blow it in every single way and Jesus still longs for us. The glory of the gospel is that being so broken that we feel dead isn't what disqualifies us. It's kind of a ticket. Jesus doesn't wait for us to crawl out of the tombs of our own heart. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he has climbed into what is dead inside us with the hope of life. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, breathes life into our dead so that we can come running out. Mary, 
Uh, she doesn't sit on the edge of the tomb weeping for very long. She quickly realizes that she isn't alone. Jesus, he comes to Mary as she's weeping, as she's confused and doubting, and he calls out her name. It's my favorite part of our text from today, even more than John's bragging. Mary, Mary. All it takes for the pieces to fall into place, for Mary to wake up to the beauty and the wonder of Easter is that Jesus says her name. And in a moment, her grief and her despair and her lonely and her disappointed, they all become untrue. In a word, uh, we hear Mary in a word drenched in hope. You can hear her heart soar as she responds, Rabbi, as she wakes up, Rabbi. The God of the universe has breathed life into what was dead. Jesus, he, he rose from the grave to seal our great hope that the worst things of our lives do not have the final word over us. Easter is proof that the final word of this world is not death. That the final word of this world, it isn't darkness or despair or fear or virus or unemployment or loneliness. Whatever the worst thing is for you in this moment, Easter is our proof that it is not the last thing and it is not the most true thing and it is not the eternal thing. Uh, I read this week that in an Episcopalian burial service, uh, they end in this really fascinating way. The liturgy of the burial service says that at the end of the service, the priest would walk to the edge of the grave and he would look out into the grave and say these words. He says this, yet even at the grave, we make our song, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The gospel tells us that because of the resurrection, death doesn't get the final word in our lives. Hallelujah does. Because of the resurrection, we get to stand on the edge of the very worst things, fear and death and hopeless and disappointment and grief and sickness and our massive capacity for destruction. We get to stand on the edge of these things and through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we stand on the edge with hope. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so no matter where you are at this moment, no matter if you're thriving or crashing, no matter what you have lost or how deep the ache of absence is, no matter what you've done or left undone, no matter how bright the day or how dark the night, from the cross to the grave to the light and life of the morning, the God who knows you by name is singing a song of life and a song of hope. He is singing hallelujah over you. This is the song of Easter. As followers of Jesus, if we're anything, we're Easter people. We celebrate because just like Mary, as we sit on the edge of the tomb, Jesus, the great and only hope of our world has called us by name. And in a moment, our biggest and most ultimate fear is declared untrue because God raised Jesus from the dead. And so we celebrate. We laugh and we dance and we party and we celebrate because Jesus no longer being dead speaks life and hope and hallelujah into our world. Being socially distant doesn't mean that we stop being Easter people. It doesn't mean that we stop celebrating. We can find a way to celebrate even within the boundaries of staying safe at home. N.T. Wright says that Easter is the celebration of the wild delight of God's creative power. 
If that's true, then at the Vineyard, we believe that the Spirit, through the Spirit of God, we have access to the wild delight and the creative power of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. So use it today. Use it to celebrate Easter. That wild delight and that creative power found a way for you where there was no way. It can certainly find a way uh, to turn a day and a time of fear and quarantine into a party. Today is still a day to celebrate. Today is still a day to call the people that you love and laugh in wild delight. It's, it's a day to, to turn on the water hose and spray your kids or splash water on your face and remember your baptism that we have been sealed by life, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's a day to decorate your entire house with hope. So light all your candles and make I don't, paper chains and hang them from the ceilings and raise up all the blinds and open the curtains. Today is a day to celebrate. Today is the day to, to use the fancy dishes, even if you're all by yourself, and to pop the champagne that you've been saving for something special. Today is something special. It's the day to bake a cake or cinnamon rolls or fresh bread or hot pockets or whatever a feast looks like in the time of the corona. It's a day to, to blast the best songs. I will be loudly playing Dolly Parton's Light of a Clear Blue Morning and Where the Streets Have No Name by U2 all day long. So open up your windows and turn up the music uh, that gives you hope as loud as you want to because today is the celebration of something special that hasn't changed. It is still a day for singing and for dancing and for feasting and for connecting however we can to the people that we love. Even though the world is bananas right now, we are still Easter people. This is still our great festival. Celebrating isn't disrespectful to all that's been lost in the last few weeks or all that will be lost in the coming weeks. Celebrating is a reminder to our souls that what is lost will be found that what is dead will find new life and that the worst things are not and will not be the final things. The hope of Jesus is not disrespectful. It is the antidote to fear. So wherever you are, let's find a way to sing hallelujah today. And here's a great start. We'll start uh, by together uh, coming to the table. We, we uh, take communion every single week at Springbrook. It is our daily bread, our family meal, the gifts of God for the people of God. And so to start the party, to start the celebration, uh, gather up whatever you can find in your house. Uh, find something that's close to bread and something that's close to wine. And uh, whether you're quarantined alone or with someone else or, or with your family or whoever, take that bread or whatever is like bread and take that wine or whatever is like wine and know that it is the body and blood of Christ given for you out of the sacrifice of the son and the great delight of the father. And as you take it and as you eat it, may your heart respond with the song of hope to the God who knows your name. May your heart respond, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this out of your great affection for me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant between God and man, my blood for you. Drink this out of your great affection for me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim my life, death, and we believe resurrection forever. Let's pray. So God, we thank you that uh, you are and have always been with and for us. Thank you that uh, the cross and the resurrection are the evidence of how wild your delight is for your people. I thank you that through your creative power, you created a way for us to be made whole and be made free where there was no way. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice that gives us life, for your death that gives us life, for your resurrection that reminds us that we are alive in you. And so we thank you for this meal and we thank you for this drink that reminds us that there is something we're celebrating. So I pray that you fill us with the creativity and the wild delight to celebrate you today. In your name we pray.